The God of Thunder is back with another silly adventure. Today I'm talking about Thor, Love, and Thunder. This is Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. movie friends welcome to scott's self-indulgent movie podcast i am scott and today i'm talking about thor love and thunder i uh, meant to get this one up earlier but just got delayed because life and uh this one it's following a tradition of a lot of phase four movies from uh, the mcu which is that they're kind of standalone and also divisive seemingly so yeah let's get started let's talk about it so without further ado here we go it's time for another edition of this phase four marvel movie is dividing the fan base which is surprising in this case, since we've got the wildly popular Thor Ragnarok writer and director Taika Waititi bringing his kitchen sink sense of fun to the proceedings back for another round, and an always game Chris Hemsworth and Natalie Portman coming back in a substantial role. And yet, here we are. The reviews aren't as strong, and a lot of fans seem to hate it. And I love it. The film, film finds Thor in a post-Thanos funk, as he rambles around the galaxy with Star-Lord and the Guardians. But when Thor gets evidence that a, be- that a being of terrible power, called Gore the God Butcher, may take aim at Asgardians, our hero returns to his people, and an unexpected reunion with Jane Foster, the one who got away. I can loosely see why people didn't care for this movie. Waititi seemingly has more free reign this time around, which also means that the jokes are more absurd, and the shifts in tone are drastically different. It's also not quite the freewheeling adventure with his friends with his friends movie that Thor Ragnarok was, but I loved it because I think this movie plays more like a family-friendly rom-com than Thor 4. The film is literally framed as a story Korg is telling to young children about Thor and Jane's relationship. Strong princess bride vibes on this one. And that includes some terrifyingly dark ideas and scenes bumping up against some heavily C- heavy CGI'd shtick. And so if none of that sounds like your bag, I get it. But I think there's a lot to enjoy, including these big elements, including some fantastic action sequences. It's not a secret that this movie has two Thors, Chris Hemsworth's Thor and James Foster's Mighty Thor. So you're probably wondering how they and Valkyrie make their fights more interesting. And Taika and company accomplish this with a few clever ideas. The first is unique locations. Almost every battlefield in this movie has a distinctive look and feel to it. Thor's showy reintroduction looks like an 80s-inspired midlife crisis, complete with a sleeveless t-shirt for Thor. Another one features a battle with other gods in a gold-plated arena, and so on. All of which includes fun new moves, a number of good jokes peppered in, and clear goals in mind. Also, there are silly-as-hell action figure battles brought to life, which is never not fun. We also have Jane Foster. Natalie Portman's Jane Foster has historically been criticized as not being much of a character. Her actions in the original two movies were mostly reacting to Thor and threats to his thre- threats from his world. What I like so much about her story is that it's about her claiming agency in a situation that takes it from you. Comics fans will likely figure this what I mean by this, but it means that Jane being a hero and embracing her feelings for Thor have a lot more weight. And Portman is a great fit, neatly swinging between the action hero stuff, being an awkward human, and banter partner as needed. We also have the blend of sincerity and sadness. Something I think that gets lost in Taika's comedic approach is how sincere and sad his movies can be. 
Jojo Rabbit is a movie about a young Hitler youth with a cartoon character version of Hitler as an imaginary friend. That also features some of the saddest and scariest moments I can imagine. The plot of Hunt for the Wilder People is kicked off with a death. Nearly all of the Asgardians die in Thor Ragnarok. This is what he does. And I like the main thrust of the movie here. The movie's big idea for Thor is that he's afraid of love. Not because love isn't cool, but because he knows how love ends for him, especially with Jane. It's very much a Lord of the Rings problem. He will lose her before he wants to because he will live forever, so it's better to avoid that pain. But love is worth pushing through that pain. So that means we get a lot of rom-com vibes blending together with, well, what does this villain represent? Oh right, being abandoned by the gods and, oh, that's clever. Intended or not, the movie is implying that avoiding connection and love is how you end up like the other gods Thor encounters. Selfish, omnipotent beings who celebrate the devotion of their followers who don't actually care what happens to them. The dickhead, the dickhead god who kicks off Gore's rampage represents this very well. No gods, no love, no anything. Anything besides pain, even nothingness. So how do you beat despair and hate? And the movie's answer is love and thunder. Cheesy, yes, but also exactly what I wanted. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World, for the latest reviews, discussions, and more. See you next time, everybody, and stay safe.